Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Occupy Voices. Uh, we, we used to be the Occupy America Social Network, and we became Voices. Uh, this is uh, episode 21, Occupy Syria Plan, and I'm uh, delighted that our guest is Brandon Turbeville. What is this, like the fifth or sixth time you've been with us, Brandon? Say hello. Uh Sixth or seventh, I believe, and, and thanks for having me back on. I'm a regular guest. Yes, you are, and you are just back. Uh, David Callahan is our co-host. Say hi, David. Hi, Terry, and you know maybe we ought to make him a co-host. He's been on so many times. <laughs> uh, you couldn't do much worse than your I, host. So. <laughs> I, I have been a co-host. I have been. Yes, he has. Yes, he, he has. has. That's true. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think. Well, David wasn't in on that one, so right. we've. Uh, I wish one of you guys would just replace me because I'm getting old and really getting bad at this. <laughs> uh, and I forgot to start the stopwatch while I was doing all of that, so I'm going to guess it in here from from here on out, and I'll bet we'll make it after all. Uh, Brandon, you are just back from Syria, which may have been easier than trying to hook up on this phone call for this interview, but <laughs> but Brandon can tell you on some of our former shows, we've had a lot of mysterious communications difficulties, please stand by, and we're hoping we don't have those this time, but we'll see if we do, we'll just plow on through it like we always do. Uh, so what did you see in Syria? Well, I spent a total of 10 days going across the country. Uh, we went to the uh, western parts of the country, the coast, and most of the central parts, the, the government-held areas. Um, came in, we, we flew into uh, Beirut and came in on the land route and uh, started off in Damascus, moved on to Aleppo, and then to Homs, then on to Tartus, back to Damascus. And uh, lot, lots of little places in between. We we stopped in Khan al-Assal that had been virtually totally destroyed uh, as a result of the war. Um, we we saw the really uh, two parallels, right? We saw areas like East Aleppo. We saw areas at Homs that had been as far as the eye could see, you could stand up on the roof of a building and just look out, and all you would see would be destruction, uh, completely destroyed buildings, some of them completely leveled, um, uninhabitable. And then you would go you know, a few streets over to the government-held areas, and what I mean by that is areas that had been held by the government for some time, and you would see that life had returned. Um, shops were open, restaurants were open, businesses were open, schools open, hospitals open. Um, there were signs, of course, that the country had, had been in a war for sure, but uh, life had returned. So you could see rebuilding and normal life on one hand, and you could see the uh, total destruction on the other. The other uh, thing we, we, we saw, and again, this is important, we saw um, Aleppo, which is the biggest uh, city in Syria, and, and this was the scene of very fierce fighting about a year ago, and it was, of course, all in the media, uh, misrepresented, of course, in the mainstream. Homs, which was sort of the center, uh, the beginning of the uh, of the um, 
I don't know what you would call it, not revolution really, but the uh, proxy invasion where they really started in full force and violence. And then we saw Damascus, old Damascus and and modern Damascus. And uh, in these areas, uh, just because I know it's going to be asked about, um, <laughs> we have the ability to move around on our own, right? We're not some sometimes people go to uh, war zones and they're given guided tours, and, and of course there are times when you need a guide, you need somebody who speaks the language, somebody who knows where things are, et cetera. And we had that, but we also had the ability to go around on our own with no security detail, with no guide, and talk to people on our own. And I, I took full advantage of that. So I've now talked to uh, Syrians in Syria. I've talked to Syrians, you know, with, without any uh, influence in Syria, and I've talked to Syrians uh, outside of Syria, and they're all telling me the same things, by the way. And uh, so we, we could get into that in a little bit, but uh, on to um, Tartus, the, the coastal area, you know, we, we were able to see that. Of course, there's a big Russian base in uh in Tartus. So we we got a good cross section of the country. Of course we didn't make it to uh Daryl Zor because of the obvious reasons, um uh, the road being blocked, that being the front line, et cetera. Um and and again what we saw was a, a stark contrast between the areas that were controlled by by terrorists and uh the areas that were controlled by the government and, and the Syrian people are even now, even in the areas that have been completely destroyed, slowly moving in to uh, to rebuild. Um, we met uh, ind- individual shopkeepers, people on the street. The, the Syrian people are some of the most uh, friendly and kind and welcoming people um, that I've I've ever been around. In fact, I would say they're the most of all those things that I've, that I've ever been around. We would walk down the streets and they would uh, notice that we were foreigners and would stop and talk to us and uh, shake our hand and try to have conversation. So some of them could speak English better than others. Um, if they couldn't speak very much English, they would you know, do their best in broken English to like a friend who spoke English would get there and talk to us, and we would get invited in for tea and for dinner. Hmm. Um, we, we met a lot of people who had been captured, uh, a couple of people who had been captured by the uh, extremists, uh, some of them tortured. Uh, we met a a lady who had both of her children killed, or she had three mm-hmm. children. Two of the children were killed in the school when the um, America's terrorists uh, suicide bombed the school. The children were there. Uh, we got to hear her story as well. And um, again, what I heard from all of these people was that they supported their government um, in, in this war, and they they fully supported the president in this war. None of them expressed anything but hatred for um, for terrorists, for the extremists, for the so-called rebels. Are they aware that, that it's America that is funding the head shoppers over there? Because America Absolutely. doesn't seem to be. Um, yeah, they're aware of a lot more than, than Americans tend to be. I, you know, <laughs> to be honest, you, you could ask um, Syrians questions about American history that most Americans wouldn't get. Uh, and and Syrians would know the answer to it. So they're fully aware that the uh, United States is behind this, and Israel, and Saudi Arabia. I give you a little little taste of how well they know. It. I went to a school, a fully functioning school, 
and we walked around and, and looked at the classrooms and uh, saw the kids doing their little exercises in the mornings. And in one of the rooms, there's a, a shrine to the children who were killed. And this is a different school than what I mentioned earlier. It's a shrine to the children who were killed by the uh, rebels. And across from that is a little bulletin board where the kids get to have their artwork placed for showcase. And these, these are little kids, right? They're like, what, eight, seven, eight? Um, they're doing artwork which shows Syria being torn in two by these really dastardly-looking characters, and one of them has a red, white, and blue dress, mm. and the other has the Star of David on it. And it's, you know, the knowledge of the geopolitical situation, the ability to capture that in art is... Uh, something our school should be jealous of, especially at eight years old. Bizarrely enough, uh, I'll be quoting Taft, um, and I, I hate to be doing that, other than they seem to be remarkably telling the truth better than some of the American media is, and hopefully we'll get into that further in the rest of this show. Uh, but Putin, Putin uh, I just mispronounced his name, sorry, uh, he is quoted as saying about 90% of Syria as of today has been liberated. Does that sound right to you? Um, no. From from ISIS, yes. Um, from terrorists in general, no. Uh, can you uh, kind of differentiate that for us? Um, that, if, if the, the article just said 90% liberated, and it may have said terrorists. I think I sent it to you, but it was late. The well, the problem is on not just in the Western media, but on the world stage. There's this attempt to differentiate terrorists from each other, and it's calling you know they're all the same and they're all controlled by the same powers. But uh, to, to call some ISIS, some pre-Syrian army, some Ural Sham, and we could go you know ad infinitum with these names. Um, they're all still operating in Syria. In the eastern part of Syria is where you have Deir el-Sur. This is the area that ISIS, ISIS proper, I guess, is uh, functioning heavier um, in the eastern part of Syria. And if you're, if you're only counting ISIS, then, yeah, it's probably 90% liberated. If you're not counting, I mean, Idlib uh, is a big um, big area, and there's still some terrorist activity in, in Aleppo province. There's still terrorist activity around Hama, even in the Homs province uh, on the border areas I, I don't I don't think it's 90 percent total I think that he's probably referring to Isis proper hmm. um, and and not including the the terrorists who are in, in Idlib who are under this type of uh, deconfliction agreement this where all the terrorists who get uh, agreements to leave certain areas or, or shipped um, right now they're under a ceasefire so uh, I think what he's what he's stating is that uh, 90% is liberated from ISIS. ISIS is what 10% of their their fighting power, and that's that's probably true. Uh, they won't last much longer. As soon as the Al Zor city is completely uh, liberated and terrorist free, then they're probably going to disappear in a matter of weeks, unless other powers decide to. Uh, to pull something, which is possible, but uh, just given the state of affairs now, it'll probably be a matter of weeks, maybe a month or so. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say 90% at all. If you if you look on the map, there's a there's actually an interactive map called C 
Syrian Civil War map. And we'll try to get a link to that. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's we'll, good. It's we'll updated very regularly, so you can look on there, and they they differentiate Syrian government-held territory, Kurdish, Turkish, uh, ISIS, and uh, FSA, Nusra, stuff like that. And you can see on the map, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's ninety percent at all. Overall. Well, excellent. And then Tass was off base too, and that kind of brings us into the article you just got finished writing. Uh, or the, the last one I've seen that you'd written since you got back, uh, the media narrative is totally BS. I think that I, I can't think of a better way to introduce that that title. Uh, what were you talking about in that article? Well, just uh, and just to clarify on the, on the task presentation, Putin probably did say that, and he, he's probably referring to that one specific, you know, to, to ISIS specifically. Um, we all have our every every nation has its need to um suggest that they've you know won the war so um it's just um the ability to claim that they've defeated ISIS and stuff before they move on to to terrorists in other areas but in in that article that uh that I wrote what I was trying to refer to are a lot of the misconceptions that Americans have about places like Syria for one thing um about the culture and what the Western media has been saying. Because unfortunately, Americans only know about Syria what the Western media has been saying. And uh, we just covered some of that, right? The idea that there's there's now this hysteria about uh, Ghouta, that Assad is, I mean, uh, what, the hashtag Assad besieges Ghouta or something idiotic. Uh, this is the repeat of, of a typical propaganda. And if you listen to the Western media, you'd think that the Syrian people were all crying out that they are being oppressed by this brutal dictator who for some reason randomly murders his own people. Um, and, and this is not true. Again, I've talked to people in all of these cities and all these little places in between, and they all tell me the same thing. Um, you know, horror stories about America's rebels, uh, they support their government. Uh, they support their president, and uh, and and they support them in, in the war. They want the rebels and terrorists completely driven out of Syria. Um, this is one of the issues that I wanted to drive home. Like if you're if you're listening to reports from CNN or Fox or MSNBC, uh, it's not just misinformation; it's disinformation. It is. An absolute lie. It's 180 degrees different than what is actually happening in Syria. Um, the other thing I wanted to to really I, there's the pictures in the article that I took personally. Um, uh, Americans tend to have this idea that that Syrians are you know, Syrian women are walking around in veils that they have to have their head covered that if you you know, set foot in Syria that uh, you're going to get killed for, you know, not not obeying Islam or something to that effect. Again, this is the opposite. You know, so I was trying to, to get people to understand that this that Syria is a secular place, right? I had people comment to me that, um, you know, it's a shame you couldn't drink in Syria. <laughs> this is this is so infantile, right? Uh, there's liquor stores everywhere. Uh, there's bars everywhere. You can get drunk at your leisure. You can drink as much as you need to drink in order to feel like an American. 
and there are you know I, I took pictures of um, Syrian women in the street you know obviously not oppressed they're walking around their heads are uncovered they're wearing tight jeans tank tops this is not Saudi Arabia um, this is and this is the presentation that Americans get that Syria is something like Saudi Arabia but somehow Saudi Arabia escapes uh, criticism. Um, it's a it's a completely uh, secular place, and you know of course there is obviously a religious aspect. Every country has a religious aspect, uh, but the, the the religious fetishism that we that we you know hear in the mainstream media um, is is not an accurate portrayal. Right? This is you get the idea, and one of the things that I hear from many Americans who and Westerners in general who who hear about the Middle East is that uh, they've been fighting over there for a thousand years, and that's that's what I I constantly hear from from people in the West that the Middle Easterners have been fighting over there for a thousand years. Some somehow we've we've forgotten what European history looks like for the last thousand years. <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember we were bombing. Uh, in Europe when I was a kid, so let's not get on our high horse. And much of the wars that are that are started in the Middle East are, you know, uh, engineered by the West. So um, again, yeah, there, there's been wars. There's been wars everywhere. But the, the idea is that Syrians are constantly at each other's throats. Uh, Muslims, Christians, Jews. This is not true. Uh, these people have lived in in peace and harmony. And for, for for generations in Syria, right? You, they're they're all mixed in together. You you wouldn't know one from the other necessarily. Um, you know, I, I sat in in Damascus and and drank uh, whiskey with Sunni Muslims. You know, uh, and and uh, Christians showed uh, great hospitality. There's uh, thanks to America's terrorists, um, there aren't as many Jewish people as there as there used to be, but there are still Jewish people there in, in Syria, and they get along with everybody too. Everybody uh, coexists just fine. Uh, the idea that what's happening now is anything like a civil war or a religious war is absolute garbage. Uh, this is not a religious war. Syrians aren't attacking one another. Right? This is uh, armies of foreigners and fanatics attacking Syrians. And you, you look in the military, you'll find people of all uh, all religions and uh, that, that goes for the Kurds too um, you know this, this this applies to everybody so um, the other thing is that as I mentioned earlier you see these people who've been through so much um, they just pick right back up and and start back to living right we, we went through in Aleppo uh, near the Aleppo Citadel and there's the uh, the souk, the, the the market, the old markets. Um, it's like mm-hmm. a like a giant flea market. That's the closest thing I would be able to call it. And it's uh, it's old style markets. Everybody has little uh, stalls and booths and stuff. Full of life. We went through the souk in Damascus, and it's it's always packed. It's a sea of humanity. Well, now in Aleppo, it doesn't exist because the terrorists uh, took it over, and all the all the fighting completely destroyed the place. Uh, well, not completely, but it, 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 there's rubble everywhere, right? It's it's destroyed, and you can't really can't really use it. But as we were walking through the old soup, taking pictures, and um, and it just it just you know 
looking around the place, we came across a few Syrians who had come back to the souk, who had owned little uh, booths and stalls of the souk, and they were cleaning up and ready to start business again. And and they had old sandbags and 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 uh, UN food program bags. They had a shovel and they were just throwing the rubble in the bags, throwing it in a pile. And you know it's going to take a long time, but they're going to get it cleaned out and uh, and open the shop again. And, you know, two two rows down, you'd find another guy who was who was bricking up the walls again, so he could he could open his business. And there, there's a determination there that um, I don't know if you if you see in, in you know in in many other places, but it's to just uh, just to pick back up. And I said in the article that the the blood of the land runs in their veins. It's really true. Mm-hmm. Collected connected to the country and the land in a way that. A lot of people just wouldn't understand, but you you feel it. You you feel it when you're there. Um, and you know when we were discussing this 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 idea that they they'll just they will not give in. They will not stop living even even when there's battle streets away. The children still go to school. They'll still go to you know, people will still go to work. They'll still rebuild, even though the you know the battle is just a few streets away. And and when one of our uh, group members asked someone or or mentioned to them that maybe maybe the the you know invading powers didn't quite understand this this about Syrians, and he just said, frankly, that's right, and they don't understand, and that's why they lost. Hmm. And you get the feeling now that. Um, yeah, maybe not 90% of the country is liberated, but eventually it will be. And you, there's much more hope today than there was last year or the year before. And um, you know, it, the war has done a number on the country economically, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of you know human lives, especially in the, in the toll it's taken there. But on on one level, it's it's the it's brought out the best. In a lot of people, it's also brought out the worst. A lot of people, but all brought it all out to the surface, and everybody knows where they stand. And I think, in the end, that these people will probably be even even stronger for it. We're about twenty four minutes into the show now, David. Did you? Yeah, have any... Brandon. I, I wanted I wanted to kind of address the uh, the view from the American side in terms of what you're sharing. We seem to live in a cognitive dissonance here in America. We, you know, our government takes a position that Assad's a bad guy and we need to do something about him. And uh, there's an ISIS terrorist uh, attack going on there and the people are caught in the middle. There's there's stories, you know, we get the mainstream media's position. We then go and try to find out from alternative media what's going on. And it really, in my opinion, is uh, promoting what I call perpetrated ignorance, where we're not being given the facts, we're not being given the true story of what's going on, and you know what what uh, there's specific elements that because we're not told, we have a completely uh, misunderstanding of the entire Syrian situation. I mean, this is true in all kinds of things going on, both in our own country and in other parts of the world. How do we uh, get past this? How do we get to where we can get 
some sense of objectivity, a way by which we as as reporters and journalists and and uh, just you know good people can actually come to a place where we have some sense that we know what's really going on. Do you have any suggestions in that regard with respect to what you are doing and going back and looking at Syria now and and even in the grander scheme of things beyond Syria? Does this make any sense? The question I'm asking. Yeah, I, I think you're 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 asking me how can we determine what's real and what isn't, right? Yeah, and what's true uh, and what's false. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, in in my case, I, you know, I was lucky enough to have have contacts in Syria very early on, and so I was I was able to to tell that the official stories that we were being told in mainstream weren't true, but then you get a completely opposite uh, view in, in a lot of the alternative outlets and, and for me the the direction to go is the first hand source which were people in Syria. And right. when I talked to them, um we talked online and, and uh, you know, had Skype conversations and stuff like that, you kind of first expect to hear maybe something in the middle. You hear um or or maybe you expect to uh to hear some say one thing and others say another thing. But what I was getting was Pretty much the same thing, you know. Um, you know, these these aren't rebels; they're terrorists. Um, uh, you know that that sort of thing. So, if possible, uh, first-hand accounts and uh, you know the uh, the immediate sources, uh, first-hand sources are are best. If you can see it for yourself, that's even even better. Um, a lot of it is just using discernment, right? Uh, for instance, CNN, that's that's the one that's easiest to pick on right now because they, they had this thing, uh, they had Syria Danny, I don't know if you remember this, where this guy, he was supposed to be a rebel, he was you know, under attack from Assad's forces and he would show up every two days on CNN and you'd hear in the background a bunch of gunfire and poor Syria Danny was being attacked by Assad and then he was such a brave guy. And it turns out um, that Somebody in, in the CNN camera room, for whatever reason, turned the cameras on early, and this guy is coordinating the gunfire to make it sound like he's under attack. Um, you can see it on YouTube, right? It's a complete expose. The whole thing was completely staged and faked. So you got to ask yourself then, if these people will tell us such an egregious lie, um, how, how could we trust? It's not a mistake, right? This is a this is an open intentional lie. So immediately, if you if you've intentionally lied to me, then uh, we're done. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, put any stock in what you have to say anymore. And for me, eliminating those sources and uh, using discernment when it comes to alternative media, because there's a lot of disinformation when it comes to the alternative media too, unfortunately. You can't trust everything you you read in a lot of uh, alternative media outlets, and it's, it's just a matter of discernment and trying to put together as many sources as you can find and get as close as you can to the real thing. And um, and just well, and I think just that's the it. point. I think the point is we can't trust mainstream. Alternative uh, sources may or may not be giving us correct information. You're you're correct. We need to have discernment. But it leads to a what I would think is a more systemic problem with uh, journalism and reporting and news. Um, we're in a place where 
in terms of finding out what's going on outside of your local community where you actually have the ability to see what's going on or in a situation like you're talking about where you can go to the actual sources themselves, we're stuck in a quagmire, aren't we? That <laughs> we're getting to where we don't even have the ability to get uh, accurate information because we don't have reliable uh, systems, reliable networks in place to give us the truth. And I mean, and it's going to force us to reach out to people such as yourself, others like you and, and people like us who are trying to find those sources and bring us to the people that it's almost like we're, we're having to start over and creating an entirely new network, an entirely new way to get information because we can't trust our government to give it to us. We can't trust uh, the media that's supposed to be unbiased to give it to us. It's really creating a new episode of, truth seeking in my mind is that is that accurate yeah i think so i think that's why you've seen the alternative media grow by leaps and bounds over the last few years because the 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 actual lie and deceit that's coming from the mainstream outlets is becoming more and more obvious uh, for people who have any critical thought now for people who don't really think about anything they're just going to follow along with it but and I think that's why you see things like social media networks like Facebook and now Twitter doing everything they can to uh, shut down alternative media without openly saying they're trying to shut down alternative media. Um, I think that's why you, you see a lot of that stuff. And Google, too, is doing the same thing because they they realize now that uh, there is a groundswell of alternative opinion, uh, alternative opinion and alternative uh ways of presenting facts and information on the ground. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you there. We're well, about like to 30. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we're about 31 minutes into the show, and I'd like to remind people, we'll link, if uh, I'll try to link all of the shows that Brandon's done with us over the last five years, coming up on six years. And he's never had to retract any of the stories, or I've never had to retract any of the stories he did on the air. So I think that's a key point here. Uh, mm -hmm. You've you've been on the mark so far. You've been telling people the truth through our show consistently. Um, part of the problem here is in journalism, there used to be a rule that if you got a story wrong, you filed a retraction. Because until you get perfect people, you're going to make mistakes periodically. It's going to happen. Uh, but that's not being done either. You'll see the same stories. We did uh, a couple episodes again with Deliana in uh, Occupy uh, Silkway, and we'll link that too. Uh, we had the uh, a CNN correspondent, and you helped run that story down and confirm Deliana's story that he mistranslated on the air uh, what, what they said it was Assad's bombs. And that was never said by the person that they said said it. Can you kind of touch on that, uh, Brandon? Yeah, this was... Uh, my my memories on uh, specifics are, are fading a little bit, but with Diliana's story, there was this video that I think was brought on CNN. I believe it was CNN. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's CNN where they have a witness, and the kid or the guy says something. Uh, it, it's in Arabic. They're doing the, the interview, the guy's speaking in Arabic, and they translate it on the screen. Uh, they just put words up there on the screen. And uh, I, he, he says 
something to the effect that they're, they're they're frightened or tired or scared or something, and then the next words that are translated on the screen have to do with Assad bombing them. They're, they're frightened or afraid because of the bombs from Assad. Well, um, I had uh, I could listen to it myself and tell that the guy didn't say what they said he said because he says we're tired, we're afraid. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, he says we're tired, we're afraid, and then he repeats the same phrase. So if you even if you don't speak Arabic, you can recognize the same word coming twice. But I had some friends uh, in Syria who do speak Arabic, and I asked them what he said. Uh, and they confirmed to me, and not just one, but several people, and not all Syrians, confirmed that, no, he said nothing about those bombs. He said nothing about Assad. CNN put it in. Um, so, again, this is deliberate. This is deliberate lie. It's not a mistake. Uh, this is a deliberate lie. And as you as you know, you just brought out, uh, you know, if it was a mistake, why isn't there a retraction? Of course, I've never seen a retraction. A never seen a retraction. Uh, and why wasn't there story? a retraction of Syria, Danny? You know, uh, it it came out, and CNN never even addressed the fact that they're on camera faking this thing. So it's I'm, not making a mistake and refusing to retract. It's willfully deceiving and actually faking the news. And uh, just for propaganda purposes, I mean, there, there's there's no doubt or debate about Syria, Danny, that it was completely faked. Um, and the flip side of that is that Diliana was telling the truth. She saw it happen at the time, said it in the Silkway show. And when we backtracked to fact check that, she was telling the truth. So we have a CNN correspondent who's been caught out in a lie and never retracted the story. We've got a superb reporter, Deliana, who did report the truth, and she got fired, but she was telling the truth. Uh, any thoughts on that, guys? Well, she's not the only one. There, there's the uh, CNN reporter who went to Bahrain, and where there was legitimate protesting going on against the Bahraini government, and she pointed out that the, uh, the government was acting uh, really in a totalitarian fashion, and CNN editors told her no, that uh, they don't want to, that they only want to show protests in Libya and Syria and Egypt, not not Bahrain. And uh, she got fired because she wouldn't change the story. And I, I wish I could remember her name. She's, uh, God, she's got blonde hair and she has a, a website now um, has to deal with uh, psychedelics and so forth. I wish We'll try and find the link to it. I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to backtrack and find it. It's just we're working well, without the computer right now. Terry and Brandon, we even had this situation a couple of weeks ago in Puerto Rico with the CBS reporter who was talking about uh, the circumstances there in the beginning that uh, they weren't getting supplies in and so on. And um, then all of a sudden he's off the map, uh, not uh, being able to... Uh, report anymore because uh, apparently he said some things that uh, weren't in line with the official news. So we see this happening not just in foreign correspondence, but even in correspondence here in the United States and in our territories. David um, Begnaud, I believe, is one, and, and his yep. social media presence is superb. Uh, he's being spoken well of in Puerto Rico. He's being spoken well of uh, from from all sorts of different sources. He is still 
employed by CBS. He does still show up there. But there seems to be a disconnect between what he is reporting when he's doing a two-minute soundbite for CBS and what he's reporting when he's using his social media accounts. And I think that's another key here. Uh, any thoughts, guys? Well, I mean, we've seen it. Why would anybody think it wouldn't be any different? You know. Um, oh, and the lady's name is Amber Lyon. Um, her website. Oh, yeah. Is, yes. Yeah. So, yes. Um, why would anybody think that it would be any different at home? You know. And we, we've seen back during the. Uh, I mean, it still is the, the Trump hysteria. We've seen CNN editors say that you know we know these things here aren't stories, but whatever we're going to run them anyway, even though it's BS. Uh, you know, it's, at best, this is just cynical attempts at ratings and not news. Um, at you know, at worst, this is again, this is completely, uh, completely fake. And uh, you know, this, this is not, this is not uncommon. These are not these issues we're talking about aren't just random. They don't just happen once in a while. These uh, these things are are, are well ironed out in uh, in editorial boards. And furthermore, it's coordinated because. If CNN makes something up, uh, shouldn't that just be on CNN? <laughs> Why is Fox and MSNBC and CBS and ABC making it up as well and, and promoting the same story? So uh, you can tell that it's coordinated. Well, let's net nut something here, Brandon, since we have you here on the show. Uh, give us your report, if you would, in summary of your recent uh, trip in terms of what the American people and the people listening from all over the world, listening to the show, need to come out with from your uh, recent visit? What what are the realities that your reporting will bring to the surface that maybe are things that we don't have clear? Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, um, you know, I suspect the listeners to this show are going to be well aware of the fact that, you know, Syria is not Saudi Arabia. And I, I think they're going to be well aware of the fact that America could do the would would do best by just going home, and I, I think that's the message of Syrians uh, to Americans. Um, first of all, they don't hate Americans; they hate the American government, and they're smart enough to support uh, to to separate the two. Um, you know, here in the West, we if we're if we're about to go to war with Iraq, then suddenly uh, it's the Iraqis that we have a problem with. Right? Those people are crazy, is what we say. Um, that's not the way they do it in Syria, right? They understand that people are separate from their governments. They don't hate Americans, but uh, they can hate the American government. And their message would be simple, is to just butt out, to get out. Don't arm rebels. Don't arm Kurds. Don't arm anybody. Just go home. Uh, pick up the bases and go home. Um, let Syria and Russia and Iran and, and the rest deal with, with ISIS and let Syria deal with Syria. Um I think that would be what their message is. I also would say that Syrians are still perplexed as to why Americans aren't in the streets. Um, Even Syrians who are more familiar with American culture are a little bit perplexed as to why there aren't millions of Americans in the streets demanding that we stop funding terrorism. Um, If anything, they give us too much credit. And Again, they don't quite understand the scale to which people are propagandized here, not just by the news, but by other forms of media. And I think that is what 
I wish people would take away is if they're going to have an opinion and if they're going to agitate for something, it should be getting out, not Kurdistan, not you know uh, some vague form of democracy or whatever it is. You know, it, it, it should be, Syria should be left to Syrians, and um, you, you know we've we've done this in what eight countries now. We've been heavily involved. And, and killing people in around eight countries now, and that's not counting the ones that we do uh, under undercover. And there are entire generations of people. I, I, lots of places in the Middle East, the majority of the population is is younger. There's entire generations of people that will know nothing in their formative years but war, and their entire view of America is going to be the bombs that we dropped and the terrorists that we paid to cut off heads and the infrastructure that we destroyed and the future, their future that we destroyed. Um, so we are sowing some really horrible karma across the world for a generation that is just now coming up. Um, it has to be stopped at some point. And I, I think, I, I wish... Americans would understand how important it is, and I wish um, also maybe familiarizing yourself with the culture of, of the people that we're killing would help a good deal. I mean, if, again, if you if you go to Syria, you'll feel at home. Uh, you're not going to feel like you're in a completely different world. Um, if, if people were to judge people on an individual basis or give something, uh, some other people uh, a chance, then maybe it might not be so easy to demonize them as, um, you know, savages and it might not be so easy to kill. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I kind of rambled there, but the, the idea is that um, there's so much Americans need to do in order, in regards to this. They need, they need to learn and, and get active. Uh, and that's that's its all order. I don't know how much faith I have, but um, I hope that answered the question. I'm not sure. It did. Well, let's let's go to I another. I think you were dead on 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 yep, answering you are. You're the right. question. Uh, the, Let, let's uh, go on to it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jay. Go ahead. Uh, well, it, it, uh, I I just was going to say that we'll have a link to a book uh, that talks about an entire school of history that was wiped out because it didn't fit the narrative that the government wanted to portray, uh, starting with Charles Beard, who was a, one of the premier historians uh, of the early 20th century and was basically just silenced uh, by, the, by the 50s. Uh, that's about progressive. Uh, the, uh, oh, shoot, I can't think of school of history. Uh, it, it, it'll be in the link. Um, Another example of that was a historian like uh, Sutton, Anthony Sutton, we've talked about quite a bit. Uh, they hounded him to death. Uh, reporters are getting fired for telling the truth, which is supposed to be a reporter's job. Um, do you have any thoughts on why aren't they in the streets? Well, we have been in the streets. This started to be the Occupy America social network. Uh, so... So that really isn't accurate either. We've been in the streets. Uh, There's Ferguson uprising, Baltimore. We've been in the streets. It's just not, so far, we're just not succeeding in 
in taking back our our government. Um, any thoughts, well, because Yeah, any time there's a coordinated action, then people are sent in to destroy it. Um, well-paid, well-trained people are sent in to, to get it off track, which has happened to every single movement that I've ever been able, you know, had the pleasure of witnessing. As soon as it gets on the ground, uh, and it gets more than a few thousand people. Uh, now I don't even think it needs to be a few thousand people. I think it's a few, maybe just a dozen people, and you've probably got somebody in the mix who's trying to draw you off message, uh, change your message, or maybe commit some act to get you <laughs> to be blamed on you. And um, so it, it's a you know it's a system that's in place uh, just to prevent people from getting out on the streets or if they do get out on the streets to make sure that it's misguided in some other direction and then uh, possibly aimed at each other. So um, somehow we're going to have to figure a way out to, uh, to outsmart that at some point. We've got about uh, roughly about nine minutes left and now I can't see the stopwatch at all. Um, <laughs> technical difficulties, please stand by. Uh, David, I kind of you started to say something, and I was still in the middle of trying to ramble my way through the thought I was working on there. Yeah, um, so I was looking to go a little bit uh, on a different tangent, which I'm not sure really is reporting or journalism in one respect, but I think it does hit to a real critical question that we need to uh, address, and that is the why question. Why do we have such a difficulty and being able to get the truth in places like Syria. Uh, is it is it the idea that uh, there are uh, puppet string pullers that are really in charge, that are you know even manipulating our own government and the, and the issues of the deep state and the shadow government are overseeing? Is it the CIA is really behind these events? You know, I, I guess the question, I, I, as a reporter and from what you've observed, What's your perspective on some of those why kind of questions? Why is it so difficult to um, be able to get a continuity in our in our thinking uh, in these kinds of situations? If you can address that, Brandon, that'd be. I think I'd be very interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I absolutely do think that this is a well entrenched um, establishment, a system, a deep, a deep state. Sure um, that. For the listeners, by the way, that was not coined by Donald Trump. It was Peter Dale Scott back in the 80s. So um, there there absolutely is a deep state apparatus that uh, that does control media uh, perceptions. And whether it's the CIA, whether it's uh, corporations, you know, I, I would not look at this as one or the other. And it's like a shadowy uh, group that moves between all of these, and that's why they, they seem to act in a coordinated fashion, because they do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's that's the main reason. And I, I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about uh, CNN. You know, all right, if CNN is faking some news, then maybe that would be exposed by a, a corporation that's, you know, supposedly competing with CNN for ratings, right? If you're, if you're CBS and your, your opponent fakes news, you would expose that, crush them, and then, you know, and, and move up a notch in the ratings, but they don't. They all act in a coordinated fashion. Why hasn't CBS exposed CNN for, for faking the Syria Danny story? 
uh, well, they they promoted the Syria Danny story, you know, and and they continued. If you turn CBS and CNN on, you might get a different uh, flair, a different way of presenting the same story. But at the end of the day, you get the same story. And even in a lot of independent media, which really isn't independent, you get the same thing. Um, sort of a rebellious presentation, but still the same story, uh, nonetheless. So uh, we're not we're not up against just you know a few corporations run amok here. We're up against a really deeply entrenched system uh, that you know telling 300 million people a lie to get them to support a military adventure is small change. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing. There's no. It's not a tall order by any means for these uh, for this this group. We're about 55 minutes. We got five minutes left. Um, we we really can, ought can to I, talk about what's the future of. Uh, go ahead, David. But, but we really did want to try and what is the future for Syria? Well, well Brandon had something he was going to say there. That wasn't me. Oh, sorry about that, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we can we can lead into that because uh, yeah, it, it, the future of Syria is going to depend. Um, it what what does it what is the United States going to do? One one question. What is Israel going to do if if the United States is going to back off? Um, and there are some signs that it is. Then the future of Syria is, is pretty bright. Uh, there is going to be a massive rebuilding effort. Um, I do think that ultimately, despite the loss in terms of culture, that Syria will probably uh, repair itself and, and might even be stronger for it. Um, if the United States does not want to back off, and if it tries something crazy, like uh, tag teaming with Israel with some type of physical like direct confrontation, or if it tries the Plan B of federalization and break and breaking Syria up with the Kurdistan and uh, you know some other some other stand in in Syria, I uh, you know it, it could be a very long road to hoe. I, it, it could be that, um, you know, that, that the rebuilding effort is not uh, to the extent, if, if it's if it's federalized, right, because the, the Kurds are sitting right on top of most of the oil, um, and that's not by accident. Another so word for that is balkanization, and when Diliana in Occupy Silkway was on, she was saying basically, that, that she had hopes that, that the Syrians would unite and throw everybody out. Uh, personally, I've got my doubts because I see de facto balkanization happening. Uh, occupied Syria is, is, is referred to as the uh, what Israel is occupying one piece of it, and we'll have a link up where uh, former Vice President Cheney is involved with a company that's drilling oil there um, in Syria, occupied Syria, but Syria. Uh, so there yeah. is de facto balkanization already happening. It's the question is where is it? How much worse does it get? Yeah, and that's going to be the big question um, because remember ISIS has to be defeated, and then the rest of the so-called rebels and, and moderate cannibals have to be defeated in Idlib and these other pockets, and then you have the Kurdish question. And the big question there is if the United States is going to double down and try to force the Kurdistan. Uh, Israel is going to try to help force the Kurdistan, or if or if the Western powers are going to back off 
a bit, and I I think that's that's open. There's also a question of whether or not the U.S. even wants the Kurdistan, or if they just want to use the Kurds as um, a battering ram, uh, which like they've been doing for generations too. So there's a lot did any, in the air right now. Did anybody in Syria have any idea how many bases America has occupying Syria, which would be illegal? There's never been a vote saying we could occupy Syria. Uh, my last Any, count, I believe, was nine. Okay. And they they all dot around the borders. Right? So there's a lot in, in the Kurdish areas, and there's some in the, the eastern areas as well. And uh, at Tamp is the one that's been uh, getting the most um, attention, right? Because they're, they're backing up the SDF, which, by the way, the um, the SDF is the, the Syrian Democratic Forces, anything but democratic. They're Kurdish fanatics and Arab fanatics, so they're the terrorists. That's all they are. And uh, you know, people can look that up. There's Kurds from the the YPG, but they're uh, they're Terry. Can you fanatics. hear me? Yes, I got you. Hello. We got uh, less than one minute left. Go ahead. I just want to make sure that uh, I was still hearable. Sorry. Yes, I've got you. Uh, just uh, what are your final thoughts here in the last 45 seconds? Well, um, you know, I, I just wish, I, I want people to, uh, to to go read the article that I wrote uh, after coming back from uh, from Syria. I think that, that is going to explain a good deal in terms of culture. Um, but I, I really hope Americans... Uh, pressure their their government as well as they can to um to back off on Syria and to and to cut off the uh the corporate media. Right? This is pointless to watch this stuff. There's nothing nothing of value. Um so you're only doing yourself a disservice by listening to it at all. Um and you know they say war is how Americans learn geography. That's unfortunate but if we perhaps Learn a little more when when there's the threat of war, then then maybe these these types of things won't uh, won't be as uh, as common. <laughs>